At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. This is Isabella Lumbeck here at The World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. Today, we're going to go deep dive into financial industry, specifically shifts and changes that are happening on global scale that we're seeing here in the United States, but other parts of the world. And how is that changing the landscape, not only Fortune 500 scale, but how is that changing and impacting on our small, large businesses or regardless what position we may have, where the risks are, where the huge opportunities might be, and what can we do to make this shift much easier for all of us. Without further ado, I would love to introduce you for someone who's not only subject matter expert working with financial industries, but also working with most of the Fortune 500 companies and has tremendous insights over this pain of at least two or three decades, seen it so much shift and change and can really provide great guidance, great insight, and also amplify her expertise so you guys don't have to repeat some of these mistakes and errors that major giants did. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Pauline Crawford. Pauline, how are you? Hello, Isabella. I am absolutely fantastic. Um, even more so because I'm here with you. Um, and I love what we're going to talk about because I do look around into the world and wonder why uh, things are rather stuck um, in some sectors, in fact, many sectors, uh, but in particular in the financial sector. So I'm delighted to be here to share whatever insights I can over the last three decades. That's Gosh, fantastic. I can't believe it's so long. <laughs> But what's so beautiful, it's how do we capitalize on this amazing wisdom. I'm one of the lucky ones to have uh, not only opportunity to work closely with you, but also be advised and learn so much, which first of all, for everybody watching and listening, highlights importance, who is in your inner circle, and also importance, where do you get your advice from? Is it someone who is just teaching you theory or has tremendous practical application and is still relevant to today. And I have to say kudos, you are checking all of these boxes and I'm sure you're looking through that lens also with the companies you're working with. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Um, well, I think what's so interesting is that um, I've lived in England, that's where I come from and worked in Europe and England, UK, but also lived in Malaysia which was a whole different experience working with the Ministry of Women there and women entrepreneurs and, and several corporate entities. Of course, a very, very different culture. And I'm now in the USA. Um, so I never imagined in my life I would be in totally different cultures, totally different continents. But what's interesting is some of the same issues occur because business has got quite stayed over the years, I think. And people are constantly concerned about their wealth and their position and their career progression. But there seems to be a big sea change now because there's a lot of 
um, a lot of people leaving the corporate world since COVID, since the pandemic, um, we have a whole different change of attitude. And so I was really curious as to what has happened to some of my clients from some 15 years ago when I was resident in England. And so I started looking and see, have they changed? Have what they were saying then transpired into something better now? And um, I think it's marginal. Mm -hmm. um, so I can give you a specific example. Um, I was doing an amazing diversity event for Barclays in England back in 2009, I think it was. But it was an international event. And what was interesting is everybody was focused on diversity. How is that going to benefit the financial sector? Now, there's currently 89,000 people in Barclays. Um, there may have been less then, but I'm sure it was not by many. Um, so Barclays is everywhere, certainly in the US and uh, in Malaysia. So when you look at that as an entity, that's a lot of people. So the focus was on diversity and they had the, um, they were looking at how do top women exist in such an organization. So it was a very interesting project, totally up my street because I'm very interested in how people function together and specifically men and women, which if you think about diversity, it should be men and women. So the candidates on my stage were three top women and one was head of Barclay in South Africa, one was the HR director board level and one was head of Barclay cards. So significant women and they happened to be in the building um, for this diversity month, and I got the privilege of inviting them to be on my stage and to question them. So the first thing was, the audience was probably 99% women. And the audience was also not just in the room, they were scattered around the world. And we had phone-ins and videos coming in during the session. So it was ex expansive, and I think possibly there were a few more men in some of the outlying areas. But in the room, I was, it was notable that there weren't that many men. And when we think about diversity, how do we ever really understand diversity and gender equality if we only have one gender in the room? So that was the, the first point. But it was an exciting event, and it did bring out lots of highlights about, yes, you can do it. You can be a top woman. You can have children and have a busy life, etc. But the other notable evidence was that when we finished the event, even though these three top women said, hey, this is fantastic, we must do this again, I never saw them again. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were so busy, bless them, and I know they're busy. But I think the commitment to do something which really changes the culture of a huge organisation is where we head into difficulties. And then it takes a lot of uh, outstanding leadership to say, how do we really want this culture to be? And then look at all the units and all the, the levels, the hierarchy. And I looked back at them now, this last month, this last week, and really looked and picked all the details up. Yes, they are still looking at diversity. They have a lot more uh, instruments in place. They have lots of uh, focus areas on different parts of diversity, um, gen you know, gender diversity, age diversity, race diversity, all of the specialist areas. So they've kind of broken down and made lots of focus areas. But I would challenge, does that really change the whole culture? And 
one of the things I always discovered when I was working in these very large organizations in the UK was that fateful point where you say to somebody, so what are the what are the values of this culture? And they say, hmm, I must have a look on my computer. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's not your values living in your heart. Mm. We're we pushing statistics that it's really true evidence of the numbers, but we don't necessarily can focus on statistics that shows as a result, as a result of these numbers, what impacts is being created and what things improved, what things got better, right? Because we know that the diversity has so much, and specifically when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're looking also value proposition that so many companies should be seeking, which is enhancing their creativity and innovation. And right now, if they don't innovate, they're having a lot of problems, right? How they also improve their decision-making, what is happening from that element, how they increase their employee engagement, and what is going on there as well. And then also, of course, having a better, not only talent, but, but better problem solving, right? Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I focus on, because I'm looking at this mix of people, how do we use all those different talents when we get stuck into um, creating policies that divide everybody? Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a challenge, and, and whether it's about men or women or different groups or even different divisions, how do we get people to really understand they can own their role in a very, very large organization? So when you look at small business and small entities that are much more defined and roles that are more defined, it's easier because the person in that role can really identify it. But if they are in a culture which is so huge, they can never feel they really belong all the way up to the top. Like seeing these three top women on the stage was a rarity from, for all of the audience. They wouldn't bump into them in the corridor. Um, maybe the HR director, yes, but the other ones, they wouldn't necessarily come in touch with them. So how do you find out how different people can work? And that's where when you look at talent and creativity, decision-making, critical thinking, all of those things, once you know that everybody has a value and an ability to do that in a different way, that to me is diversity, not necessarily whether, whether we come from different ages or different cultures. So there's, I think there's a misnomer about what diversity is about. And if you can go to say, well, 89,000 people, they're all individuals, and then you need to break them down into units, then you do get to look at where the talents are. But I think the challenge with huge organizations is you you need a defined system to have a huge organization. So by default, you police it. Mm. And then you, you can potentially drown the big amount of talent and creativity you have. You'll find it in pockets because then when you focus down and you encourage people to speak up and come up with ideas, you'll find stars appear. And, and, and they're the ones who will have a fast career progression and then, of course, you may lose them because the culture may take an older energy out of them. Mm. I, I one example, and I, I don't know what happened to this female client of mine. She was at Barclays and she was quite a shining star. And she said, you know, I think Barclays could make a whole division, which was a women owned bank within Barclays. And it was a brilliant idea. She worked it all out, but it didn't get any traction at all. 
Why do you think was that? Why do you think there was no traction? Because a lot of times I'm seeing specifically from my experience, you know, and beside financial institution, just in general, Fortune 500, either you killed too quickly the project or specific initiative, or sometimes you wait too long, but you don't necessarily get buying from the team and everybody to really uh, embrace it. So what do you find to be one of the root causes for that? Well, I can, I think it's just the difference between the, the system, which is so rigid, it can only do what it does. Whereas, you know, we talk a lot now about agile systems and flexibility. Um, Innovation and, uh, yes. And I, I, I feel that it's certain sectors, certain, certain markets that can cope with that. Uh, it was interesting. I did work with a, a, a telecom business in, in England, we set up a unit within the company to be entrepreneurial and a female was leading it. And it was interesting because she was very entrepreneurial. And I think that's why they chose her. Mm -hmm. um, but they gave they gave her a group of men who were not entrepreneurial. And, and I was working with them in terms of the human interaction. And she was dealing with the relationship with the board and then the relationship with her team, men of both sides of the spectrum. And I think the board wanted her to succeed because she was entrepreneurial, but her team didn't quite understand it. So it was a very hard job, but she actually did a fantastic job and she did make it work. And the system, the big company was looking for her to prove it. Um, I think that's where you won't get so many people who will risk that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relationship between the company saying, we want this creativity within this system and therefore we'll ring fence it and then we'll give it time. And if it doesn't work, then we'll ditch it. And then the challenge is where do they lay blame? Because that's often the case. So you're talking about a lot of human in endurance. And if you look at the whole field of entrepreneurship outside of large corporates, then the entrepreneur like Sir Richard Branson or Elon Musk, you know, they take their own risks and then they built their own businesses. But they started outside. I think when you're inside a, a corporate, a, a big corporate that really wants to um, tap into the energy that will be as a percentage in 89,000 people, there will be a percentage of people who probably want to leave and run their own business. If you could tap into that, maybe the, the structure of the corporation could use that as sort of energy fields. But you see, I don't think that's corporate language in my experience. And then we do have the challenge of where does where does the creativity from women get accepted, as an example? Um, she had it all worked out. It was really sound proposition. And we know that, you know, there are banks that cater for women more and do it in a different way. So it's not out of the ballpark to do something like that. But it was presumably seen, deemed to be too risky. Mm. Um, I used the example recently of the, the corporates are a bit like the Titanic, you know, they are yes. unsinkable, but when the, the captain is sailing it directly into an ice field because he, he reckons it's, it's not going to sink, and it does, I think it teaches us a lesson, um, and as you know, we, we talk a lot about leadership, when you're leading a huge organisation, leading the Titanic, you're very controlled by the system that you're, you're sailing. 
And such a great analogy, and I love the overview, how you really look at perspective. And I hope this, again, for everybody watching and listening, sinks in that we truly do look at from what diversity meant or means even from decades ago, and then how is that shaping and reshaping companies, and specifically on such a high, high um, size, but also in highly regulated industries, like we're talking about financial industries here. But what I also really want to highlight here as a Pauline mentioned is uh, importance of the entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial mindset, right? Uh, why we're seeing more and more job requirements, even in corporate arena, asking for that is because they're a significant contributor to success. And not many people have that. So many people are used to be just employees, right? Clocking in, clocking out, delivering specific types of products or services. And when they're off the, off the job, then they're all 100% focused on what's going on in other worlds. But they disconnect between those two worlds. And um, for leadership, specifically entrepreneurial mindset, that doesn't necessarily switch off, right? We we think about things uh, throughout on weekends and evenings, and even sometimes when we're on vacation, not because we're workaholic mindsets, but because we're creative mindset and creativity comes in such a different places and different times if we allow it, right? But what I want to highlight here, Pauline, also. Uh, you mentioned how important it is um, how to really persevere, right? And then not to allow to, um, with that belief that nothing can happen to us, we're too big or we're too protected or whatever. And when we get there, we jeopardize so much that is going to be so hard to reverse and then so hard to fix it. So it's important to really understand where the risk is, right? And what risk is worth taking or not. And you demonstrate that all the time through your work and through strategic advising uh, that you shared of how is the vision fitting with what's going on right now or not and what needs to really change or what needs to be protected. But one thing I wanna highlight also is your resilience, a resilience on individual level and in building organizational resilience, which so many companies are not understanding how crucial important it is. Uh, as anything, take some muscle, right? And then also understanding what initiatives they're doing, how they're adapting to this, and are they solving the right problems? So with all of those things I mentioned, you run into situations when I know that some problems were not even properly addressed and evaluated, let alone obviously solved, and we see the pattern here. Do you mind sharing what do you see that can be prevented and, and how to truly understand that better and assess that better? Ah, oh, well, that's a, a, a massive matrix of, of um, questions and possibilities. I mean, one of the things that strikes me right at the beginning is that, you know, we know that large corporations have gone down and disappeared from the headlines. and um, and that's quite fascinating, uh, very like the Titanic, you know, um, and it's a pack of cards. So when you look at, you know, when you, I'm sure as a kid, you build those, you build cards up together and, and then the whole thing pulls down. And that's what happens when, you know, Lehman Brothers goes down or whatever happens. Um, and so when you're in, it's like working in a volcano, all the, all the sort of cracks are appearing. So how, how was you can build corporate resilience. I think it's a lot to do with, has to be to do with leadership and has to be to do with yes. um, acting as a big company, but understanding that the people in it 
if everybody in an organization really honored the culture of an organization, then I believe however big it is, it will work. Um, because you and you you've got to do that right from the ground up. And it's notable, you know, when you look at some organizations, even when I watched Barclays changing over the last 30 years, often it was who was at the top. Um, there would be good chairman and good TOs, and then there would be and with no not defaming their character, but different types of leadership. So the very severe, we do it my way or the highway, or the very embracing, let's all do this together, we're working together. That simple paradigm makes a huge difference, even with a huge organization, because they have got a reputation for being secure. And going to the idea of employees and entrepreneurs, employees want safety. Yes, they want to belong and they'd love to have an enthusiastic work environment, but a lot of people, especially now, are very afraid of their economic status. So they want something that's safe. And so yes. the financial sector is very, um, very important to all of us. And I, for one, don't necessarily understand how all the financial stuff works, but I know how people work. And people, you know, some people may have been working at these banks for a long time. Um, I also worked one time with Coots, which is a fascinating smaller bank, but the, the Queen's Bank as, or the Royal Bank. Um, and there they really specialised in obviously very top high level customers and clients. But you needed to be a certain type of person to be working there. And that's the volatile side of being an employee or an entrepreneur. So I think resilience is A, individual, and then B, it's in your, your unit um, in your division, your department, um, and that might stop you moving on, but you want to be safe, or do you want to be risk-taking? And then you have personal resilience, and you say, no, I'm going to climb this mountain, whatever it means. And so all the way through, leaders right down to team leaders, department leaders, it's almost like this is a, this is a volcano, and it's, and it's shifting. If you happen to get lots of different fissures coming up this is a bad leader and that's a bad leader and then people start moving and um maybe they all dive into the department they think it's the best but it becomes a unstable so i think the the wisdom that i see in some of these banks which is to break down the issues to very focused areas is probably good for the people in there i don't know that it's necessarily a buoyant culture for the whole culture but then, you know, we have to look at the whole market. You know, what happens if the Fortune 500 is actually a very small part of the number of businesses that there are in the USA and in the world? And that's when you start seeing, you know, I think it's something over 72% of businesses are actually medium and small businesses. And then you get a very different energy, a very different culture potential I'm not saying that all medium businesses are run the right way, but I think there's more opportunity for us to elevate the economy if we focus on them. But the if the corporates could learn from the medium-sized com companies that are learning to maximize their people, they yes. might take a lesson that way around. That would be really good. I love, again, how you um, brought up something that I feel like so many are struggling to decide as things are changing, how they're changing with 
times that we work in and live in, right? We've never seen the level of velocity in an environment and markets and different regions of the world that are dictating so many changes. But we've also never seen as many regulations, as many policies, as many procedures, as many things that to also deviate and take uh, time and effort and also attention as a result of how we're are we compliant are we doing all of this that we're supposed to be doing right and then as you said some of the departments are more functional and more effective than the others and some of them have um big huge struggle as a result we've seen a lot of press releases a lot of press exposure and on different incidents, a lot of different fines, as well as a lot of turnaround, specifically in the leadership. And I love that you touched on that truly does everything starts and ends with the leadership and what kind of leadership DNA is in those seats? Who are these leaders that are making these decisions that are tremendously impacting not only billions and billions of dollars, but they're impacting over hundreds and thousands of employees and their longevity, as you mentioned, or, or, or talent that is there that is seeking security and stability. And question is now where this sits with who is the lead in the pack, who is showing the most innovation transformation, who is embracing new technology, who is also having this very strong financial literacy of current changes, right? And how this all really comes to be customer-centric because we're also very competitive. We're seeing a lot of banks that are part of um, our ecosystem and some of them are already leading ahead, not only because of technology alone, but because truly how their leaders show up, as you mentioned earlier, how visible they are, how yeah. capable they are, and how open they are, and what they're trying to, again, preserve and protect. So I'm curious, you mentioned also two different banking institutions, but back to Berkeley's and Titanic metaphor. Yes. If we believe that we are invincible, uh, and we put our organization in too much unnecessary risk, yeah. sooner or later, something's going to give, right? We know that. We're also seeing uh, if we're not um, capable or having position of change and transformation, let's just use it AI, machine learning, and customer service experience, but also security, safety, and all these other measures. We're yeah. seeing how that ends, right? We don't have to mention other brands that are really having a hard time uh, with every day with something that is going on in media that is creating negative press. What would you suggest? What would you say Berkeley's did well, has opportunity to improve, but in the same time can be really modeled after based on your years of experience with them? Well, I suppose the big question is, for instance, could banking be done differently? Um, Yes. It's like, could you have an Uber banking? I mean, we never dreamed of, before we had Uber and, and systems like that, we never dreamed that was going to be so easy. It wasn't there. We didn't have Airbnb. We never thought of, you know, selling out our, our bedroom for somebody, some stranger to come and, and live with us uh, for two days or whatever it is. So I don't know whether it's possible. When you think about the microfinancing in India, when you know the microfinancing started with the Gremlin Bank, most of the men in the banking system said, "Oh, you're mad! Why are you doing that?" And he said, "No, well, it, you know, I reckon this is going to work." And of course, it did. And then they built a bank around it. So I think the the thing for corporations and leaders 
to be acutely aware of that. And I see that as, if you like, internal entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, so, you know, I run a, a university of entrepreneurology, and this is really important to bring this in, is that this is an, uh, a discipline which says knowledge is really useful, but experience is even more useful. And in fact, even more useful than that is imagination. And this famous quote from Albert Einstein, which is, knowledge is limited, but imagination encircles the world. So if you add in experience, and by that I mean the experience of winning and losing, the experience of getting it right, getting it wrong, of uh, being down in the dumps and then being at the height. You know, we look at any major entrepreneur who's made millions, you'll find in their life journey, they've lost it all and made it back again. Now, when a big corporation gets so tangled up with whatever happens when it goes down, whether it's corruption, greed, just ridiculous systems going wrong, when it goes down, it's hard to say who made that happen because it's probably in that pack of cards. So I think there's there's a mixture of understanding that in any organization, you're gonna have this entrepreneurial spirit, this ontological energy. And there was something you said that really struck me is that when a corporation is trying to get everything right, they're in danger of not doing the right things. And that's a very important definition that came from the founder of our University of Entrepreneurology. He said, we've got to look every day is, are we asking the right questions? We've got AI rushing towards us. We've got markets changing. We've got people not wanting to be at work. We've got entrepreneurs bubbling up everywhere at a very small level and a major level. So we can't say that anything is the same as it was. So we need to look at how can we do this differently? And with banks, it's hard to say whether or not we'll actually change them totally, but it is possible. So the banks that do it first are gonna be the winners. And I think the maybe there's um, there's too much resistance in terms of controlling financial worlds. And I don't want to get into that exactly, but the, the sense that, um, you know, if they had built another Titanic exactly the same and said, well, we just put a few more boat lifeboats on, that wouldn't have worked. We need a major change. And I'm not actually sure what that is, but I know we need to use our knowledge, our experience and our imagination. And the imagination is what we see in the, the very amazing entrepreneurologists like Steve Jobs, you know, who created a whole sector that we never had before. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness. I love how you brought it all and tied together because again, um, what can we do more of? What can be done better? Where is the room for improvement? And I love, because everybody watching and listening, if you just go on LinkedIn and look at for job description, you will be amazed how plethora of the resumes asking for entrepreneurial mindset and entrepreneurial skill set. And I was like, okay, now you want me to run the large corporation as I'm running my own business. Now you want also all these different elements, but also you want my critical thinking and decision-making and million other pieces and it's nothing wrong with that but it shows how things are shifted that we need to reorganize prioritize and as you pointed out leverage entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial uh, attributes so that they can uh, as you said a better function 
um, be more effective and work better for people that are serving and as well with people that are working with them, right? Because uh, you mentioned a very big pain point right now that so many corporations are going through, specifically the financial system, um, because they're bringing people back to office. And we see tremendous resistance there. Uh, we're also seeing tremendous security, safety, all of those elements. But again, if we're not willing to find compromise and find something that's going to work, it's going to affect quality of work, what's going to affect performance, will affect how, how losing um, some of the top talents. So I'm curious, what would be your advice uh, for the leaders that are watching and listening and that they truly want to move the needle in the right direction? Where would you advise them to start? Or where would, would you advise them also to uh, really take a close look at? I think to have um a mixture of people around you and i'm i'm resisting the urge to say diversity because i mean a mixture so you might have some who are very entrepreneurial minded and others that are more finite um, if we take some of the work of simon Sinek, which people probably know you know the idea of an infinite mind and a finite mind but you need both so i don't want people to say oh um, does that mean I have to have a whole team of entrepreneurs in my leadership team? No, you, you don't. But you might recognize the talent that is that slight oddball. Maybe it's the, the rebel. It's the one in the meeting you say, oh, I know you think differently. Just throw something out. But everybody's got to be ready because you don't want the, anybody to be a naysayer and say, oh, no, that won't work. So you almost have to lie down, lay down a, a bottom line. Okay, anything's possible. So any suggestion we're going to look at, because the market is changing so rapidly. And if people don't want to work with you, that's going to dim their light. And so if, you, if a leader is wise, male or female or whatever mixture, is to look at um, what kind of mixture am I wanting? Do I want some risk takers? Um, I remember one time I was doing some work just helping a company decide who they want to employ. And I was evaluating these candidates. And one was, there were two candidates for one job. And one was a real risk taker. And the other one was really stable and a plodder. And I said, you know, both of these guys are good. They've got excellent references. It depends what you want as a business. And so I think the leaders to realize they, if they want to generate energy, then they need to understand the energy of their people. And they don't want them all high fives and you know, 100 mile an hour people, you want some observers, you want some people who evaluate other people, you want people who are action oriented, you want people who come up with lots of ideas, you want people who will care about everybody. And that's a mixture that we see when we really do, an, in, dare I say, an intelligent mix of people. And one of the things that leaders may be instinctive about people, but if they only focus on the knowledge and the, the kind of um, expertise credentials and not on the imagination they may lose out in this current era because ai is coming in rushing in and we know you know that's mm -hmm. going to change everything again and i think the other thing i would say for leaders is enjoy the journey i yeah. think there's a lot of fear around um on, on all parties 
uh, days when I wake up and think, oh, my God, what the hell is going on in this world? But then yeah. this is the world we live in. And to be honest, it isn't actually any different to decades ago when you know, we never had the Internet before. Now we have. Now we have AI. We didn't before. I think the the leader who listens to what's going on about him or her and almost evaluates every day, and I don't mean deep analysis, but just registered. Does this feel like it's going in an energetic way or is it dragging its feet? And if you've got 89,000 employees, that's quite challenging. So you have to break it down into units and know that every unit is bubbling in its own way. And there's lots of data about the number of size of the community that's feasible to know everybody. I think it's around 75 people or something like that. But it makes sense. You can't know 89,000 people. <laughs> One person, maybe not, but what's so important is that to know people you're closely working with in your departments and whatnot, and then cross-pollinate so that it's no much silo, right? And that we don't have that also uh, isolation where we cannot learn from each other. And so interesting, like we find a lot of times, I'm sure you've seen this as well, when one area of organization is working phenomenally and everybody's like, oh my God, you guys raised so high bar. How can we achieve the same things? You created something that's impossible and now all of us have to do more. In reality, it's not necessarily doing more, but doing better. And how many organizations have those role models, those champions in their teams that they can say, yes, but if we do this better, everybody benefits individually and as a team and as a department and overall as an organization. Absolutely. And I want to pick up on that, Isabella, because you talk a lot about champions and that's been a theme of mine right from when I first started Corporate Heart 30 years ago. You have to have people who will be that energy bunny, you know, they'll be the ones who get people together. So, you know, when you create conversation circles, not everybody will set that up. So you want to, you want champions on dots at different levels. So one champion doesn't have to do everything. So you might have a champion on knowledge, a champion on sharing experiences and a champion on uh, imagination circles. I mean, whatever it is. So if everybody in a company was actually a champion of their own energy center be it quiet or loud or crazy or rebellious or whatever it is and then i think one of the core things that we're looking at is how do we share the ideas that are coming in and i'm not saying not be competitive because obviously there's a competitive edge that you want for your marketplace and your product and service but to shout more loudly about the successes you have in terms of people and prosperity. I always find it challenging at the moment. If you find a good story, how do those companies shout about it? Because when they're really good and they're really authentic, they don't really want to shout about it. But I mean, how do we get those out into the, almost into the common areas of business knowledge? And obviously that is through newspapers and magazines and the internet. But we don't often see the really good stories. And that's what I want to see more of. Mm, 
I love that because we need to focus on positivity, what's working, what we can apply and how we serve. And that's exactly the mission of Legacy Leaders and specifically Legacy Leaders Show Institute and uh, collaboration with brilliant minds like yours because uh, we can really see and depict what's really working and what can we uh, do more of and what can we strategically advise others because it's also about timing it's about the speed it's about the knowledge as you said but knowledge if it's not applied it's waste right and it's also about practical application it's about willingness to adjust it's willingness to fail willingness to learn so in closing i would like to ask you pauline um if Everybody that is watching and listening, if they could just do one thing, either as individual contributor or as a team member or as a lead or department head or someone who is sitting in driver's seat in C-suite and executive that is really struggling, what would you say across the board, uh, what they can do uh, to advance not only individual contribution, but also to advance how they're supporting uh, other leaders and their organization? Well, I think that the core thing for every single body, literally every human body, is to remember that they're valuable. And most people don't think they are. A lot of people don't, sadly. But really, I would appeal to people to say, you know, whether you're at the bottom of the ladder in the company or you're at the middle or the top, remember that you're valuable contributors and that the whole thing works when everything works. Yeah. And that's true of everything. It's like all the cogs in the wheel. I know it's it's ages old sort of thing but remember that you're valuable and that actually you're you're a vip and i was writing about this today that you have value impact and presence and just look at that and be your own vip be your own story and if you've got an idea and you're in a company which doesn't listen to ideas well maybe work on ways that you can take that idea somewhere else or even just write about it I'm not saying, you know, leave the company when you don't want to, but don't misuse your own energy source. Um, write mm -hmm. it down, share it with a friend. As soon as you start saying, well, I can't do anything, you can't do anything. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it is a simple part. The value creation cycle is that you are a valuable part of the organization and your leader might be just listening when you come through the door and you have an idea and says, hey, I like that. Don't ever doubt yourself and don't ever put somebody down and don't put yourself down. So I'm very keen on value and understanding that when value ends up as dollar signs, fantastic, great, but value is what you get yourself with your own energy during the day. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, Leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.